0: i
1: Welcome to the Bubble Hour, where real people tell real stories of addiction and recovery. I'm your host, Jean McCarthy. I write the blog, Untickled, where I've been telling my story of life after alcohol since my first day of sobriety in 2011. I tell my story there, and I invite you to share your stories here. And On a recent episode, I believe it was Sarah's story, I uh, put out a call asking anyone with 90 days or ish of recovery, who was willing to tell their story to uh, reach out if they would consider being a guest, because a lot of our listeners are in those early stages, and they really were, have been wanting to hear more stories of early recovery. And within days, uh, I had an enthusiastic and willing and heartfelt message from Renee, who joins me today. And Renee was uh, not quite at 90 days, and in fact, we scheduled this episode to coincide with her three-month mark. And so I'm really uh, grateful and excited and pleased to share the story today with Renee. Hi, Renee.
2: Hi, Jean. Thank you so much for that lovely introduction um, and for holding this really special space for everyone to tell their stories. Um, Uh You know, it's it's such important work. So thank you.
0: Oh, it is
1: my pleasure. Truly my pleasure. Um, I was just in L.A., and I know that you went to L.A., too, because we met in an elevator, mm-hmm. and then we we like texted later and was like, I haven't met you yet. And then we met, and I was like, oh, you're the girl from the elevator. <laughs> yeah, <But, laughs> that was, me. That was yeah. me. It was magical. <laughs> so we did, after, even though we'd already scheduled uh, this, and we knew we were going to be chatting, we are like, let's make sure we meet so we can get to see what each other look like before we
2: know.
1: talk
0: on the well, air, so but I just nice. thought it was so great.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Did you, it was did so you nice enjoy but Oh, my gosh. She Recovers was amazing. Um, it was such a beautiful three days of just connection and raw openness and honesty and all the things that, you know, I know I look for as a woman in recovery. It was all there, and it was so
1: yeah. awesome. I found it really special, too. It, I especially like that I got to meet a lot of people that are either have been guests on the show or are listeners of the show. and mm-hmm. it just, It's so cool to make those real-life connections, but it really does feel good to be in a yes. in a group of people that are doing it, that are in the trenches doing the work and trying to be Absolutely. a better person and living life in that really vulnerable, raw, rich space. So that's a pretty special right. A Absolutely, ball of energy to jump into.
2: Yeah, <laughs> and everyone is so nice. You know, just right. the genuine kindness that comes from this community is really outstanding. You know, I was there. I went by myself. You know, I didn't know anyone, and there was not a moment that I felt alone the whole three days. So, did you have? Did you share a room with covers. someone
1: that you didn't know? I did. Or did you have a room to yourself? Yeah. How did that go?
2: No. Oh, it was great. No problem? She was awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah. she was like the sweetest you know like everybody just sweet and genuine and open and honest and it was great
1: yeah I was really impressed with that um there is something about it you know I really think if you're if you're walking the walk of recovery it does really kind of make you a nicer person I mean not because everything is all roses and sunshine mm-hmm. but just oh god no you're you kind of like value kindness mm-hmm. and I even find people who um are very good at self advocating <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> that way, um maybe when they were little girls, they might have been called bossy, you know, yeah, um, but it really is just that they're good at speaking up for what they need. I think that they even know how to do that with kindness and respect, and that i really I always learned so much from watching so Women
0: much yeah
1: right well, there was so much to learn for sure okay. And then Great. after you tell us a little bit more about yourself, we can talk some more about what your takeaway was uh, at the three-month mark of going to a recovery conference. That's pretty gutsy. So, um, but, <laughs> yeah. but first, tell <laughs> us about you and how you made this decision three months ago to make this change.
2: Sure. Um, so I guess I should start at the beginning, um, in my childhood, um, where there was really nothing remarkable going on. You know, it was fine, quote, unquote, and normal. Um, There was no addiction or trauma um, or outward abuse. Um, Alcohol wasn't a part of my family's life. I mean, maybe at holidays, but certainly nothing that, you know, I noticed. Um, You know, it was all just like very fine and normal. We went to summer camp and we traveled and we had friends and we played sports and, you know, all the things. Um, But I was such a super anxious, super nervous, super shy little girl, Um, and that was really hard Um, because I just, you know, despite my parents really doing their best, like we all are as parents, um, I just had a really hard time feeling emotionally held, Um, and that was less to do with the way they were parenting me, I think, than the kind of kid that I was, um, but I just, you know, I never developed that self-confidence or self-worth or any kind of, like, self-identity. You know, I was just kind of like, I felt like this orb or something, you know, just floating about. And at the same time, like, walking on eggshells and being nervous about everything and feel and worrying about things that, like, little girls shouldn't worry about. You know, that was just me in a nutshell. And so... You know, that was me when I was little. And then as I kind of got a little bit older and we're getting into middle school and high school, which is like such a challenging time as a a girl slash woman, you know, you're going through some pretty big things. You know, you're getting your period and people are getting boyfriends and, you know, all of all of that, noticing each other's bodies and. You know, if you grew up when I did, which was like in the 80s and 90s, like we were homely and we had big, thick eyebrows and bad bangs. I'm like, you know, we were just trying to figure it all out. Um, And that was just really hard for me because I had no idea, you know, with this feeling of not being emotionally held, I just had no idea who I was. And so what I did was kind of cling to everyone else. And, like, obsess about everyone else. And, like, who are the cool kids? What are they doing? What are they wearing? Who are they dating? Um, and kind of, like, most importantly, really, like, how do I become one of them? You know, I had no concern for myself and no idea of what I wanted or needed at all. It was just always about, like, being cool and fitting in. And I think that that probably resonates with a lot of people, you know, this idea of trying to fit in, especially in middle school and early high school. Um, And so in high school, you know, we did what high schoolers, I think most high schoolers do. And, you know, we started partying on the weekends and um, in people's houses when their parents were on vacation and like in the woods. Um, But, you know, my drinking at that time, I felt like was just like everybody else's. You know, I drank at parties because I really wanted to fit in. I was desperate to fit in. And, you know, I'm to this day very thankful that it was only drinking because I was the kind of kid that would have done anything. Um, If people were snorting lines of something, I would have done it. Um, There's not a doubt in my mind. I had no wherewithal about me whatsoever to, you know, differentiate between like what is okay and what is not okay. And I'm just so thankful that really it was only drinking. Not only drinking, I don't mean to like minimize it, but that it was just, you know, drinking warm beer in the woods.
0: <laughs> um,
2: and even though, you know, I didn't think of my drinking really as problematic then, I definitely, you know, being the kind of person that I was with no confidence at all and just, you know, this yearning to fit in and you're in high school and everyone's like dating and having sex and OMG, G. Um, I just started using alcohol as like a crutch to do things that I wasn't comfortable with, um, with boys. And, you know, in the same way that I was like so super obsessed with the popular kids and being one, like I just wanted a boy to like me so badly, you know, and I would have done anything for a boy to like me, but I had no idea that like, if I was just maybe myself, who I had no idea who that was either, but maybe if I was just myself, someone would like me. But I didn't think that at all. And so I would like drink and make out with boys. It's really super sad, actually. Um, So I went on to college and I went to a super small, super safe, super preppy school in Massachusetts. Uh, I played softball. I played softball my whole life, obviously. Um, Carried me into college. And I thought that that really helped me kind of create this balance which was, you know, school, sports, partying. And I felt like at that time, you know, it was well-balanced. You know, certainly college is college. Not that I agree with it. I'm a mom now, so, you know, thinking about my kids doing things that I did in college makes my skin crawl. But, you know, it's where we master, you know, binge drinking. It's where we funnel um, power hour. Do you know what power hour is, Jean?
1: No, but that's not a Canadian thing at all with power hour. Oh,
2: um, um, it's where you take a shot of beer every minute for an hour. Oh, awful, awful. Um, but that's Duke what we did the rest
0: of the night. <laughs> um, oh, no, 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 no. <laughs> um,
2: that's, that's how we pre That's what we did before we, before we partied, um, So, you know, it's where we mastered that, right? We mastered the getting really drunk Thursday, Friday, and Saturday night. And then it was pretty much toned down and balanced out between schoolwork and sports for the rest of the week. Um, But like in high school, you know, my, I don't, I mean, talking about that power hour story kind of makes it seem really problematic, but it didn't seem like it at the time because everybody was doing it. Um, And just like in high school, you know, my behavior was kind of unpredictable, which carried throughout the entire time that I was drinking throughout my life. And it was like, I posted this thing on my Instagram recently. That was like the drunk wheel of fortune. And it's like all these different pie slices. And one is, you know, there are all these different activities that you would maybe have partaken in when you were drinking, like order a pizza, make a new best friend, kiss your new best friend, throw up on your clothes, sleep in your clothes, you know, all of these, you know, kind of <laughs> crazy things, which are so funny now. And that was, I mean, you never knew what you were going to get with me. You know, when you started the night, you didn't know if you were going to get like super fun party Renee, or you were going to get like hysterically crying in the bathroom Renee. Um, mostly you got all of them um, because I, yeah, I mean, at some point I was ordering the pizza at some point I was crying at some point I was throwing up and I definitely passed out in my clothes. Um so you know kind of got the whole gamut. But yeah, it wasn't anything at the time I didn't think it was anything out of the ordinary. Although maybe it was, I don't know. Um so I graduated college and I lived in and around Boston for my 20s and I like kind of refer to this as like my golden years. Um my skin was gray, you know, I was fit, I had the best friends a girl could ever want. Um we lived in a cute apartment in Boston. And life was awesome, you know. I think back on this time and I just think about hysterically laughing and being the silliest, most ridiculous group of young women that there was. And we loved it. And we were so much fun. And obviously a lot of that revolved around drinking. But I still felt like at this point it was still pretty balanced. Um, you know, we drank on the weekends, sometimes Sunday, Sunday, which was like our favorite thing to do. Uh, where we would go out for brunch and rehash the weekend's, you know, massive events. And it was awesome. But, you know, we really reserved the drinking for the weekends, and we all had jobs and we worked during the week. Um, At this time, you know, I started to become the fun friend and like really take on my, my, that identity kind of seriously, like I'm the fun one. I'm going to make everybody party when they don't want to party. I'm going to make everybody drink more than they want to drink. And we're going to have a damn good time. Um, and I really liked being that friend. Um, I was that person for a really long time. And I really liked that role. Like, I, I felt like it fit me. Um, and I, nobody really complained about it. You know, everybody seemed to be having a great time. I certainly was. Um, But looking back on it now, I think that this is when it kind of started to take that turn from like, I'm drinking when everybody else is drinking to I kind of need more. I want to party more. I want to stay out later Um, and never really feeling satisfied if that wasn't the case. So this is kind of like where the turn came. Um, It was in my 20s and living in Boston where I met my husband Um, and even though You know, I had, like I said, like this great life with these great friends and so much fun. It just, you know, society and your parents and your grandparents and like your neighbors, you know, everybody's always putting this pressure on young women to settle down. And when are you going to meet someone? And who are you dating? What are you doing to meet someone? And that becomes important. And I don't really know why. Um, why we do that to women because it should be about our internal happiness and not be reliant on anyone else, um, specifically a man. Um, but that's what I should do. So that's what I did. Um, I met him online before online dating was like really a thing, you know, and he checked all the boxes. He's good looking, He had a good job, good morals, came from a good town and a nice family. <clears throat> So I did what I was supposed to do, and I married him um, without any regard for what I really felt and what I really wanted or needed. And, you know, that was really hard. It's still hard to kind of swallow that pill of, like, I fell to this pressure, and I did, you know, this and other things that I just felt like I wasn't ready for. Um, but onward we went, and we had some kids because, of course, like, You need to have kids. You know, once you get find a man and get married, it's time to have kids. I mean, I can't tell you how many people at my wedding asked me when we were going to have children. It was, like, totally ridiculous. And again, like, one of these pressures, like, you're only be complete when you have children. Ridiculous. So we moved out to the suburbs because that was the next natural step. Um, And I was home with my kids for most of their life, on and off, in between jobs, part-time jobs, and what have you. Um, And it was really lonely and it was really awful. And to be in this like small suburban town where you don't know anyone is really hard. Um, And we had just bought this house. So like we were struggling financially and that was just a whole other layer. And just to be alone, essentially like in the middle of the woods, which is definitely a dramatic interpretation of where I live. It's not in the middle of the woods, but, you know, you kind of feel that way and you feel so isolated and alone. And so I started drinking more, um, mostly by myself, you know, in the middle of the afternoon to get through the monotony of the day, um, get through the dinner get through bedtime, bath time stuff. Um, we just had my son, you know, at this time. And so it was like, you know, most nights a week, but only a couple of drinks, um, nothing too heavy just yet. Um, and then my daughter was born two years later and I, had terrible postpartum depression and anxiety on top of being alone in this town, and it was a terrible winter. It was the snowiest winter we've had ever in Boston, and I was essentially stuck inside for three months with a two-year-old and a newborn because it was too snowy to even walk on the road. Um, and you couldn't take them anywhere because the newborn can't be at inside toddler activities. So anyway, it was just a really hard time. And I was so super depressed and anxious and just really in a bad headspace. And so I started to drink more. Um, I drank more because I was really uncomfortable in my body and my skin. And I was really not happy with life, right? Like here are all these things that I did. Why? Where's the happiness? Where's the happiness at? Um, Because I didn't feel it at all. And so I drank. And then I started to make friends, which was awesome because human connection is so important. And, um, you know, I kind of branched out and I had a few acquaintances and we did things here and there together. And then we did things as couples and families and the whole thing. Um, And then I met the one. The one being my ex best friend. And we'll, I'm getting to that. Um, (laughs) but she was awesome. (laughs) You know, she, she was awesome. She was everything that I could have wanted in a friend at that stage of my life. Right. It was someone who I could, you know, count on when I needed support as a mom. I could count on them to her to watch my kids when I needed to do something. She could count on me to do the same, you know, we barbecued together. We had dinner at each other's houses. We went to the zoo. You know, we did all the mom things. And we loved to drink. And what's better than, like, a best mom friend that loves to sign on your drinking behavior? Like, nothing. You know? And so it was heaven. You know, we were, like, frickin' frack or whatever. You know, we were just having a great time together. And I thought really connecting and it was awesome. And she uh, kind of adopted me into this like group of women that she was already friends with. And I really enjoyed them. Um, you know, most of them were just, again, acquaintances, but I, I really liked them. I really felt like for the first time in living in this town, like I can do it. Like I can do it here because I have these women and I need to be around other women who are like going through it. Um, that's always been really important to me. So it's like, great. I feel amazing. Um, And as all the while, like the drinking is just escalating because now I have people to do it with. So it's just, you know, now it's social, happy drinking and like mom play day drinking and like drinking at the PTO meetings and at the soccer games and like in everything. Um, So everything was going really well until spring when there was a school fundraiser which is like code word for um I don't know how else to describe it but like a suburban keg party people just really get after it here <laughs> like people do not mess around with drinking in this town like I I mean it's basically in our tap water um so naturally like school fundraiser like let's all get dressed up and we went to a friend's house me and my ex-best friend went to another friend's house and we were drinking and drinking and drinking and drinking before we even went. Um, I don't remember much from the event itself. Um, I do remember falling on the ground a few times. Um, I woke up with bruises all over my body. Um, My dress was white, which was obviously like the worst choice. And it was just covered in dirt um, with very little recollection of what had happened. I'm positive that I embarrassed myself beyond repair um, in front of everyone there. And the worst thing that happened was on the ride home from that event, uh, we were all kind of sharing an SUV and going back to um, the house where we were pre gaming um, before the fundraiser. And um, I was sitting next to my friend's husband. And I kissed him for no reason, or he kissed me, or I'm not really sure because I had a lot to drink. And in my sober mind, this is nothing that I wanted at all. And I have no idea why it happened. Um, And she saw it. She was in the car and she watched. And everything came crumbling. Oh, this is really hard to talk about.
1: <laughs> well, thank okay. you for sharing uh, this. This is this is really important, and I'm really I'm I'm very glad that you're willing to share this. I didn't know that that you were that this was part of your story, Renee, and I really feel like this is very generous of you to be so honest and open. Thank you. Whew, you're welcome. Um. So yeah, I mean, it all
2: came crashing right. Obviously, um, I lost that friend. Forever. She has not spoken a word to me since, you know, despite my, you know, I'm sorry, flowers and my, I'm sorry, letters in her mailbox and I'm sorry, texts and emails and, you know, nothing. Um, And I understand, you know, we were close and I did something really crappy and I really hurt her. And I, you know, I own that. I did that. And so I have to live with that. Um, I also lost that entire circle of people that she kind of adopted me into, my acquaintances that are sprinkled in every single activity that I continue to do. Um, you know, it's a small town. <laughs> so there's a lot of people here that are not big fans of me. And, you know, when people are upset, they, you know, they they do mean things, you know. They mean-girl you, essentially. Um, they keep you out of conversations. They, you know, I'll walk up with my son to drop him off at camp and people will make their circle smaller so that I can't get in. I mean, it's, it's hard, but you know, I did it. I have to own it. Um, but it's, I mean, everything, again, everything was going so great and then it all came crashing down and you know, you would think that this would be, like, the sign from the universe that's like, hey, hey, you down there, like, time time to stop drinking. This is enough. Nope. Not me. Um, but this is when it got really, really dark because I hadn't, you know, I had no one to drink with, first of all. And second of all, I just was so filled with shame. I just felt like the worst person. And so I drank to, like, make it better, which In case you were wondering, does not make it better. It makes it look so much worse. And so it was like this vicious cycle for the next few months of drinking so much and being so sad and waking up the next day and just feeling so terrible emotionally and physically. And then literally having to go and face the music because it's a small town and people are everywhere And the friend that I hurt had a kid in my kid's class. And so we had to see each other every single day at drop-off. And so it was like just this reminder and this mirror basically being held up like you are a terrible person. And so even though I was feeling so physically and emotionally upset, you know, every day and every morning I would wake up like, oh, I can't do this anymore. Like I would continue to do it. And it was like, drink and be sad, drink and be sad, feel really terrible about yourself, have to go and see everybody. And then like just this whole thing for months. Um, And it got really bad and it got really dark as it does when you're drinking like two bottles of wine a night, (laughs) you know, no good comes with that. Um, And so I just, you know, got to this place where I was like sitting alone in my office all the time, like drinking so much and a few times, you know, wrote suicide notes and convinced myself that nobody wanted to be around me and that nobody needed me and that everyone would be better off without me. And it's a really awful place to be. Um, and I'm so happy that I'm here to tell my story. Um, yeah. Sorry. <sighs> Pulling it together. Um, so it was really bad. And again, you know, there were all, kind of all of these things happening in those dark months that should have turned me around, but didn't. And it was like this random moment that I just decided I couldn't deal with myself anymore. Um, and I remember I was like standing in my pantry and thinking about like, where am I going to go to get alcohol today? Because in a small town, like you can't go to the same el- like liquor store every day. That's Crazy. You have to rotate them because going every three days is, you know, signal enough, let alone going every day. So I was, like, standing there thinking about where I was going to go and get alcohol. I was about to put both of my kids in the car to, like, go and get alcohol that I didn't even feel like drinking. And I was like, why am I doing this? Like, I need to stop. this. Like, I don't even want to do this anymore. And so I stopped, you know. And I started with just taking a break right? I just needed a break from myself because I was so sick of myself. I was so sick of the cycle. I was so sick of the shame. I was so sick of how I felt, um, emotionally and physically. Um, and I just needed a break. And then like, as time went on, I was like, well, like how long of a break do I want to take? And at this point, I mean, a week was so long for me because I was drinking every single day. And so seven days was like, I remember day two and three and four and five and being like, oh my gosh, you know, seven days was a long time. So at some point in those early days, you know, in those first couple of weeks, let's say I decided that it was like going to be a hundred days, right? I was like, okay, like take the summer and just reset and do a hundred days. And it was in those hundred days that I found the bubble hour and I found um, some other sobriety podcasts, and I found sobriety books, and I, you know, joined the online communities, and I started going to meetings, and I, like, dove into it, and I really wanted to learn about it, and what I gained from listening to your podcast, Gene, and others as well, like, first of all, that I had a serious freaking problem, you know, I knew that, like, something was a little off, but there was, I had no idea how bad it was. And it was as I listened to episode after episode, and I found myself, like, nodding along to every single story that I realized, that, like, this was really a big problem, and I had no idea. Um, and so, you know, at some point in there, I don't know when, I just decided that, like, alcohol couldn't be part of my life anymore. And that I really needed to work on myself and live a life that didn't look anything like what I was doing. And, you know, something else that your podcast and others taught me was like how to live a sober life. You know, you have so many wonderful guests who are kind of some of them years into recovery, just talking about all these things they're doing. I didn't know anyone who didn't drink. That's not true. One girl that I went to high school with bravely came out about a year ago. Um, but other than that, I didn't know anyone who didn't drink. And so I was like, well, I don't understand. I had no idea that, like, people did that, like, lived their lives sober. And that people could do such amazing things. And people just seemed so happy that they had nobody came on and was like, yeah, but I still wish I was drunk all the time. Like, everyone just felt so thankful. And I was like, all right, like, I guess this is my path. Um and it was not an easy pill to swallow. You know, I went to my first meeting and just, you know, cried the whole time. And I was so mad and just, you know, mad at myself that I didn't see the sign, mad at myself that I let it get that bad, mad at myself that I was an alcoholic. Nobody wants to be an alcoholic, you know. Um, so, yeah, here I am, day 90-something, and I'm feeling pretty good.
1: Well, that's amazing. You've been through a lot. Yes. I didn't realize. <laughs> I didn't realize how much you didn't realize what a mess I was. What did you? Do? No. no, I'm just kidding. Were, well, that's how we all feel—is a mess. <laughs> but you know what? What I have to say, like as you were telling your early story, and when you were saying, like, as a how you were kind of boy crazy, and you're like, "What do I have to do to make a boy like me?" Like that just mm-hmm. sounded very familiar to me, and I'm sure to a lot of us. And I just feel like for a lot of us that. Sets us up for that kind of codependence where we
0: Mm -hmm. look to other people
1: to tell us who we are. And I think, like, those that is a condition that really sets us up for, like, things like what happened with you and your friend's husband. You know, that that is to me, that's very predictable that that would happen. Um, Because I feel like it's a symptom of that lost self and that symptom of, like, wanting to be noticed and, uh, I don't know, I, uh, something, something, yeah, yeah, like just approved of or something. And um, so I'm feeling like, uh, I'm I'm guessing there's a lot of listeners who are nodding their heads right now and thinking, yeah, I did regrettable things too, because when you just right. want someone to see you and value you or give you that like little high, you know, that little, mm-hmm internal high of being noticed and um then it's almost like you're kind of you're willing to do stupid things to get that in the same way it is like addiction there's an author called um dr scott haltzman Mm -hmm. and his i don't know if you're familiar with his work but he talks about um he calls that flame addiction and he says that for for people with drug and alcohol addiction um that they respond the same way to um, to infidelity and interpersonal attractions and and sex basically as they do to drugs because it's kind of their rewiring their wiring is so messed up on the pleasure reward mm-hmm. system that they're like it just the morals can there's no room for logic and morals and all the things that we rely on in a healthy mind to right. make good decisions so. So you said you felt like a terrible person. Now that you have some clarity and some days of recovery, are you starting to see that even though you might have done a terrible thing, that doesn't make you a terrible person? Are you are you getting well, some healing around that? Yeah, I am. Um, and just
2: you know, as part of what was going on in L.A. as she recovers, you know, hearing these women get off stage in front of hundreds of women and just tell these stories about, you know, how they ran away with their crack dealer when they were 16 or, you know, pulled a knife on their ex-husband, you know, it was just so brave and it was met with so much acceptance that I was like, you know, I journaled a lot while I was there and one of the big things that like this big question that I wrote down was like, what if I just put it all out there? And like, didn't let people hang this over my head anymore. And just, what if I was just like, I did that, I'm so sorry, and like, I need to move on. I can't carry it anymore. Like, I'm done. If other people want to carry that around, like, that is 100% on them now because I am not carrying it around anymore. I can't.
1: And I I also feel like, you know, if, if one thing is going to define you for the rest of your life, well. Right. You know, why isn't it that you show a hundred acts of kindness to your children every day or Mm -hmm. that you always hold the door open for somebody or I mean, and I'm not being flip about the seriousness of what happened. But I mean, really, like if if one thing is going to define you for the rest of your life, like. At some point, it becomes the abnormal period in your life. You know, like you might say, right, right. For 30 (laughs) seconds there or two hours or whatever. But, but like, here's all this other accumulation of time where I've had better behavior and trying to redefine who I am. And, and yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's a hard thing to get to, though. Okay, I have some questions for you. Yes. Um, that I dotted down while you were talking. But first, um, the two sure. people that you mentioned uh, on stage that she recovers, it was Karen Yes, uh, and it be, was. I have permission to say the last names of both of these. Okay. Karen
2: Strong,
1: okay, uh, Karen Strong ran off with her drug dealer when she was 16 <laughs> and is now yeah. – not only teaches yoga for recovery, but helps hundreds of thousands of women get sober. So I interviewed her on the Bubble Hour, and her story is in our archive. So listeners, if you want to go back, look for Taryn Strong. And Amy Dresner is the crazy wide-open book (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> like unlikely poster child of recovery her book yeah. is uh my fair junkie and um she boy holy if you think you have yeah. a low bottom i bet you amy <laughs> went lower um she's a yep. comedian and uh and i interviewed her recently as well too so just i just wanted listeners to know that they could yeah stories in the archives here okay back to you my dear Um, What has your husband's response been to all of this? Did he know? Does he know about what happened and what you've been going through um, with your friend and and all of that situation? Was he there? Um, What He was not there, there, um, but I did tell him
2: immediately after um, because I had to. There was, I mean, there was no, even though like in my sick, like losing, drinking days, like I was a really good liar. Um, And I write about that on my blog, just how we lie so that we can continue to be sick, essentially. Um, So while I really wanted to avoid it completely and not tell him and whatever, um, this friend was so intertwined in our life that it would have been very strange. You know what I mean? There was no getting around it. He would have been like, well, where is she? Like, she used to be here every single day and now she's gone. Where is she? I told him. Um, and, you know, the response was, I think, fair in that he was like, why? You know, that was his question. He was like, why? And I was like, I yeah. don't know. You know, I have no idea. You know, how do you explain to someone who is like, quote, unquote, normal, like, what's going on in your very sick brain? Like, I couldn't even, I still can't explain it. Um, so it was like a why. And then. That's when the conversation started to be um, that maybe I should take a break from drinking, Mm -hmm. Um, which he for the great man that he is like him, his family, like they're wonderful, wonderful people, but they are real good at sweeping things under the carpet and they don't Mm -hmm. like to talk about feelings and they don't like to talk about problems like they just don't at all. Um, and so he doesn't, he, he's the same, you know, I told him that. And he said, like, maybe it's time to take a break from drinking. And like, that was the end of the conversation. And then it kind of went on this downward spiral afterwards. And there was really no conversations, you know, because it's, right. I think it's just, he told you what <laughs> to do,
0: right? Yeah, right.
2: Exactly. Um, but he wasn't going to keep addressing it. You know what I mean? He just kind yeah. of, you know, nobody's going to stop unless they want to. And I, mm-hmm. I don't know if that was his mentality or what, but he did not want to discuss it really at all. But, you know, of course he's supportive. You know, nobody wants a drunk wife. So um, he's really happy. Well, actually, that,
1: I, I counter that. Um, some people do want a drunk <laughs> wife. People that are alcoholics themselves work very yes, hard to keep their true. wives stuck in the same they pattern. Do. Yes, so, that's um, very true. That's so true. you're lucky, actually, if he's supporting yeah. you, know, even if it's <laughs> yeah. not, if it's not right. the chatty type. Um, right. Helps. No, um, completely. Um, and he's <laughs> supportive of all of these
2: things that, you know, we have to do to get better. There's a lot, you know. I'm, I've am i got a, a lot of work to do. I by no means have it figured out, you know. It's this thing, and so many people talk about this on your podcast, Gene. it's like, life doesn't get better just because you do. And like everything is still the same, except for now you have to deal with it. You know, like your kids and the monotony and life and stress and money and work and the dog, like it's all still there. But now you just have no way of escaping it. And it's really loud and it's really intense in the beginning um, and I know so many, of, um, so many people who have been there can definitely resonate with that. Um, it gets easier. You know, after 30 days, it definitely
1: got a little bit easier. But whew, it so was how hard. how did you deal with it? And how are you dealing with it now?
0: <laughs> I know you're in your car have,
1: at the moment. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes I take drives and I sit in my car. Um, so
2: I've just gotten really good at putting myself first. You know, I think that we have to when we're trying to heal. And so for those first 30 days, I mean, my husband would come home and I would leave and, you know, I wouldn't do dinner. I wouldn't do bedtime and bath time routine. I would like go in my office and like lay on the floor and like light sage, and you know, just be alone. What did and you say? Like light, light, sage. light, light sage. Do you know what sage is? Oh, it's like, um, yeah, sage. It's for cleansing your aura and your energy. Right. Um, okay. Light. Okay. I see what you're saying.
1: <laughs> light.
0: Yeah.
2: Okay. Um,
1: you, you lit sage like you smoked. Yeah. You've, okay. No, no, <laughs> got it. no. Not, not. not <laughs> you weren't I'm inhaling smoking. it. I mean, you were like waving burning yeah. sage around yeah. the room for. Okay, yeah, yeah, got yeah. it. <laughs> okay. <laughs> English is my first language. I do speak English. <laughs> I just don't always understand it entirely. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. I didn't know what sage was either until like a year ago. <laughs> um, but you know,
2: it's just it's really about what I need and asking for what I need and delegating things and reaching out for help and signing up for retreats for three days across the country and just taking care of myself in a way that I really never knew how to before.
1: And what, what does it feel like to be you right now? Like, does it, is it feeling different? Is it feeling, is it making a difference all of this? I mean, it is, I think I'm just, I
2: acknowledge that I'm very much so like in the beginning stages of it, you know, like when we were doing um, a guided meditation at She Recovers um, before Taryn's yoga class on Sunday, um, it was Biet, I think I'm saying her name correctly, but I'm not sure. Yeah, um she,
1: mm-hmm.
2: Yes. She was amazing. And one of the things that she did was kind of have us look down on ourselves from above, like kind of like this outer body experience. And when I was looking down on myself, all I could see was like broken glass. You know what I mean? It was like, I'm just like this broken person and I just need to work really hard to pull myself together, you know, and I'm working on it, but it's
1: going to be a very long process. I'm digesting what you're saying. Oh, that's okay. <laughs> that's okay. I know. It's a uh, lot. It, I'm a lot. It, I it's taking me back to um, uh, I actually had the good fortune to be at a Wayne Dyer presentation just weeks before he passed away. And mm-hmm. um, I don't know if you know who he is, but he's a very no, I don't. prolific writer about you know self-discovery and self-awareness. And um, he was talking about the idea of a vase and how um, you could you can have a vase and you know you can pour water in it and put a flower in it and everything. If you smash it and you have all the same pieces, like you have the exact same parts of a vase, but without them being put together in such a way that they're hollow inside, then it doesn't mm-hmm. have purpose. And so it's like. If we're broken, we do have to reassemble ourselves because it's our, it's our shape and what we can fill ourselves with that gives us meaning and purpose. Um, right. And that's just that image just came to mind as you said that, that you looked down on yeah. yourself and just saw brokenness. So is that what you're waiting for now, is to sort of take your time and discover who you are and put yourself back together again? Are you being really gentle yeah. and patient with yourself? Yeah.
2: Um, I'm trying, it's, you know, it's hard,
0: <laughs> um,
2: but yeah, I mean, that's the goal is just to put myself back together. And when you spend so much of your life, with like this codependent, you know, relying on everyone else's opinions of yourself and you can't stop doing that. I mean, it's both a blessing and a curse, right? Like it's a mm-hmm. blessing that I kind of get to, um, be reborn, if you will. You know, I mm-hmm. get to like recreate myself and that's such a blessing, but it's also a curse because I have no idea who I am. Like I was right. this drunk fun party girl for most of my adult life and it's like, okay, but if she's not here then who even am I? It's and a was big, that really that's you? a lot.
1: Like was that ever you or did it just feel I don't you, know. Was it sort of a a role you fell into because it was safe and fun, at least until it wasn't? Right.
2: I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. It could be either yeah. or both.
1: Well, I guess that is recovery, though, right? Is like figuring out mm-hmm.
0: who
1: you who you are and
0: mm-hmm.
1: um or like what what is a good fit, and that's like you can spend your whole life doing that. It's in a nice mm-hmm. way, you know. Yeah, in a really yeah. Nice way that's the plan. Yeah, well, I love it. Okay, well, tell me a little bit about. Um, I, I want to respect the tradition of anonymity in 12-step, and I understand that you know, that's, there's, there's sort of guidelines around what you can talk about, but can you talk mm-hmm. a little bit about how being in a program in general has been helpful to you and sort of what the benefits have been of going to meetings and being part of something that's sort of already established and that you can plug into? Sure, I can talk about that. But first, you should know that I don't go to AA meetings. Oh, okay. um, I don't
2: do 12-step. I do SMART, which is oh. like a different form of recovery. Great, um, you can
1: talk about SMART. <laughs> great,
0: <laughs> great. If there's a lot of anonymity in SMART. <laughs> <laughs> you can talk all about it. All right. Um, so, so it's, you know, it's
2: it's interesting. I don't know. I think that it takes some time to find a meeting that really fits you and I don't think that I have found one that has. You know, I found one that works with my schedule and I right. found one that's close by. Um but being among them and like the busy life, you know, sometimes it's hard to like shop around. Um and so I make a commitment to go every week. And it's all right. You know, it's a lot. It's like in the hospital with the bright lights and like the sterileness and you're at like a conference table, like sharing, I don't know. It's connection is so important. And I'm not denying that. I am just not sure that this is like the fit for me personally. Um, it's mostly men. And I think that's a big part of it. You know, I think as women, there's something, you know, there's something unique about us and the things that we go through a room full of men cannot understand, like, you know what I mean? Um, so I'm shopping around for a meeting that might be a better fit. Um, and I don't, I don't do 12 steps. I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. That just doesn't feel no, like no, a good sure fit No, no, sure you are. Yeah,
1: that's, that's totally fine. Um, our people on the show do take all different pathways to recovery. So mm-hmm. I just, I assumed when you said you were going to meetings that. Yeah, um, I should clarify, That you meant 12 steps. So there you go. Um, so, smart recovery is basically cognitive behavioral therapy. It really uses like it's kind of the opposite of AA in a way because the you know the the first step of AA is to admit powerlessness over alcohol, mm-hmm. and then follow a program that helps you um, uh, live in in the parameters of that powerlessness. And mm-hmm. the the flip of it would be smart recovery, which says. Okay. the The only real rules are that the the goal is to to be abstinence based and to stay motivated and to kind of understand what was behind your drinking and adjust your drinking. Mm-hmm. So, so it really is about using your power, taking back your power, and empowering right. yourself to make changes. Mm-hmm. And um, right. so there, there are two different programs. That very right. different programs in that way. And I totally agree right. with what you say about the differences between men and women. And that's in no way to minimize the importance of recovery right. for men. It's just like, no, it's not like at shopping all. with a guy. It's like they go to a mall, they buy the white shirt, and they're done.
0: It's like It's <laughs> right. not,
1: not how it's we roll, It's a totally guys. different experience. You haven't seen all the white shirts in the mall. How can you? Like, <laughs> and you haven't texted your friends your top three picks. And
0: <laughs> oh like my we gosh! Really, that is so it's relatable. It's a collaborative
1: yeah. effort. Recovery for women right. is very. It's very. Um, it's more intuitive and more talky, and um, right. Some some women do like really respond well to the rules and and the sure. you know, the steps and all of that. But in a lot of ways. Um, that, so that sort of feminine energy is, is just different in a way, so right. I think it is important to find what fits for you, you know whether it is because you just feel too male dominated or just because we're all different and we all kind of have different right. things that fit. So tell me some other tools that are in your toolbox what are What are some things that really help you get through the witching hour? Are you still finding that that like no. that sort of afternoon is hard or what's your hardest time of day and how do you get through it?
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, Sure So I'll start by saying That the hardest parts of the day Are definitely the morning um, Getting everybody up and ready And dressed and at the school bus stop In time and like the dog And the whole thing It's just like you just wake up and it's like, Oh my gosh, it's so intense. Um, it's so intense right away. And then it kind of lulls. And then, yeah, you're right. The witching hour is like very much still a thing in our house. Um, we have a five-year-old who's just started kindergarten. So he's exhausted. Everybody's hungry. Everybody's whining. Oh boy. It's just like such a busy time. Um, and so something that's really been helpful, um, in, sobriety in my toolbox, I guess you call it, um, is spirituality and really carving out time to connect with your, you know, with yourself. And so I have this like little sacred space in my home and I really aim to start my day there every day, even if it's just five minutes of meditation or journaling or saging or crying or whatever really comes up just like starting the day there and feeling grounded. Um, and you know, at any other point during the day as well, just kind of coming back to that. Um, and different poses are really helpful for that. Like putting your feet up a wall is something that I do a lot just because it like changes everything. It changes your perspective. It changes the way your body feels and it just really helps you again, like to feel grounded. Um, so spirituality is a big one. Um, exercise is a big one for me. Um, i just, you know, I, I'm i lucky in that way, I guess. I really enjoy exercise. It's like such a celebration of what your body can do and, you know, such a way to celebrate it. Um,
1: What's your exercise favorite exercise?
2: What's your go-to? Oh, it's so hard to choose. I really like yoga. Um, I love spinning. Um I really will do anything, you know, anything I'll walk. I don't run not after having kids, Mm -mm. Um, (laughs) but (laughs) no, that's a hard no for me. Um, But, you know, walking, anything really. Um, I do boot camp classes, just anything to sweat and kind of let it all out. It's Mm -hmm. really been helpful. Um, Healthy eating, you know, do I do it all the time? Of course not. I'm human, but just really fueling your body with things that make you feel good just help you to be in better alignment with your life i find does that make sense like if you're not mm-hmm. if you if you have like all this body noise right like oh i feel so sluggish because i ate that big sandwich for lunch like you're focusing on that and you can't focus on anything else because you feel crappy mm-hmm. and so you know fueling your body with things that make you feel good and then moving your body
1: in ways that feel good are you a kitchen dancer is that part of your of your protocol yeah yeah, for sure. I don't know why I threw that out there. I just had a, I just had a feeling I could hear kitchen dancing in your
2: voice. Yeah, for sure, you know, and I try to kind of, you know, show that to my kids that we can be crazy and fun and, you know, we call it like dance break, you know, and everybody's getting all riled up, you know, you just turn on the music really loud and you dance and, Sometimes the kids are in no mood for that, so they just cry. But that's okay, right? It's part of the human experience. Like, you just let it out. It's okay. (laughs) Feel it. (laughs) Uh, I'm recovering at them. Yes, I am
0: aware. (laughs) Um.
1: (laughs) Tell us a bit about your blog, Renee, and your Instagram page, because you're sharing some of your recovery journey there. Yeah. So early on, I don't know, in the first couple of weeks, I embarked
2: on both. You know, I just started a blog and I started an Instagram page. Um, I'm Sober Witch. And, you know, it was just really a place for me to connect with other people and to put my story out there. Um, The blog is more of like, it's literally a journal, you know, of how I'm feeling and what I'm going through Um, in case anybody wants to read it or someone else, you know, it helps someone, you know, that's great. But for me, it was just like such a, t- such an important tool in the beginning. And then I use Instagram to like laugh at myself all the time, because if we don't laugh at ourselves, I mean, we could just spend a lot of time crying about it. Right. I mean, it's just, mm-hmm. you know, things like what I was talking about earlier with like the, the drunken wheel of fortune and like all of those things, you know, I, I do a lot of that and just, you know, want to, I don't know, want to connect with other people in that way and like show them that it can, we can laugh at our past and like things that I'm doing that help me. And then I'll ask people, you know, what they do to
1: help them just kind of build a community and relationship Mm -hmm. with people. And and have you found that that boosts your recovery too in a different way? Big time.
2: Yeah, Yeah. Big time. It really keeps me accountable, you know? Um, it's it's easier now, but there have been a lot of times where I have thought about throwing in the towel and just being like, I accept my fate. I am an alcoholic. I've, yep, got it. And I'm just going to keep on doing that. I mean, there have been days where I've thought that. And I feel like, you know, my online plat- platform, if you want to call it, and also with the online Facebook groups, you know, they're such, they're huge tools for me to keep me accountable. Um, and also, you know, it's so great to have those Facebook groups where you can reach out in a moment of struggle to say, like, I'm having a really hard time with this and people are just willing to help you right there in the moment, which is mm-hmm. so great.
1: It is true. I I just find that so beautiful. You know, I posted once that I was struggling, this was a few years ago, and I was kinda of coming up on an anniversary, and for me anniversaries are always like it's when I wobble, it's when I'm like, God, oh, this mm-hmm. is forever
0: Mm-hmm. So you
1: know my like that that addictive voice it's amazing how it's mm-hmm. still in there and still plays those games and oh, mm-hmm. i got such an outpouring of support and then somebody um i got a couple little packages in the mail and oh my goodness. blogger who's a friend she she sent me she had a mala that that was very special to her but she sent it to me and was like i want you to have this and wear it and remember like i love oh you no gosh. matter what but uh, you know be be well and Oh my gosh, you're right! It was like holy, yeah. you know? I, yeah, I, the wobble was barely over, and and I just had so many, so much support there. It's amazing. We we really live in amazing times. Um, yeah, absolutely. You came out on <clears throat> Facebook with your surprise <clears throat> oh, yeah. recently, so oh, sure.
0: mm-hmm. what was that
1: like? Um,
2: it was intense you know, I, it was one of those things where I kind of went back and forth and like, how am I going to let people know? You know, people are, were still reaching out to me like, Hey, you want to grab a drink? Like how'd that first day of kindergarten go for you? Do you need a drink? You know, And I would just like kind of politely decline, but I couldn't go on like that forever. And I really needed for myself because I know now that I can't really trust myself. Um, I needed to put it out there because if I didn't, it would have been so easy. I could have gone out to dinner with you know, any number of friends and just started drinking again. You know what I mean? Like it, it would have been that easy for me. And I just wanted to kind of put it out there to keep myself accountable and also to like, let people know that this happens everywhere and that, you know, no one is exempt from addiction. Like just because we live in this great town with great schools, um, it doesn't mean that we're not affected because we very much are. Um, and what else did I say? I mean, it was, so that was what it was about. I was just like, I'm just putting it out there because again, you know, like what would happen if I just threw it all out there and I just was like, here I am. Like, this is really me. Um, what would happen? And I'll tell you what happened. People were so amazingly supportive and kind and coming up to me and hugging me and texting me and messaging me. And I mean, the outpouring of love was just unreal and I was so touched by that you know I didn't I didn't do it for that but I was so grateful that that ha- that was everyone's response
1: I'm just I'm looking at the post I just pulled it up on, oh that's on okay. Facebook yeah. and I see that you have um 332 likes on that post wow. and 150- yeah that's probably
2: like all my friends
1: <laughs> that's probably like every single one of my Facebook friends you know
0: a hundred and
1: fifty four um, comments, and were any of those um wow, bad idea, Renee, or were they <laughs> all supportive?
2: <laughs> <laughs> no no none were none were um bad idea um you know, I think someone said something about just the, using the term alcoholic and that we don't use that term anymore, and I you know, I know that, but I just felt like that was. I don't, not an attention grabber, but kind of an attention grabber, like I'm going to yeah. put it all out there. I want people to like yeah. notice. And if I said like, I'm Renee and I have an alcohol use disorder. Like I didn't think anybody would continue reading. Right. So, and I,
1: I think alcoholic is still like the the vernacular that mm-hmm. is out there, you know, in terms of yeah. how people understand it. Um, is it okay with you if I read a little bit of this post? Because I know you're talking about yeah. your so it would be hard for you to read it. Um, yeah, I'm not that, that qualified i couldn't do that but you go ahead.
0: go ahead okay
1: you wrote hi i'm renee and i'm an alcoholic in in quotes today is day 90 on my recovery journey i debated how and when to come out of the cabinet get it liquor cabinet but, <laughs> Instead <of the>
0: closet.
1: <laughs> uh, but day 90 felt right so here i am i stopped drinking in june because I was so sick of the drinking hangover cycle. I was sick of the crippling anxiety and shame I carried with me every day. I was sick of having to check my phone to see what damage I had done the night prior. I was sick of having to apologize for my despicable behavior. I was sick of the blackouts, the lying, the hiding. My doctor had also advised that drinking a bottle of vodka at night is really not great for your health. Huh, doctors. Uh, There can be... Whoops. I tapped it, and it disappeared. Wait, wait, wait. There can be so much shame around women with alcoholism, addiction, and I'm sharing my story to help stop that. There's nothing special about me. This could be any one of you. Addiction doesn't, like, skip over your town just because it's affluent and predominantly white and has the best schools. Sorry. And then you name your town.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: Ladies, if you're struggling with substances in any way, please know that you are not alone. The community of sober women in this world is so strong and beautiful. Last weekend, I was blessed to spend the weekend in California at She Recovers L.A. with many of them. I gained 500 sober sisters in one weekend. Jackpot. I will always be here to help any other woman struggling with alcohol. Um, And then you... Encourage them to connect with you in whatever way they can, mm-hmm. and um, you know, recognize a few people that were special to you. And you end by saying, "This is not an easy post to share. It's scary, it's raw, and it's real. It's what I'll be working on now: sharing the real version of myself with the world." And then you uh, share the connection as well to your Instagram and um,
0: mm-hmm. your
1: blog, which is Sober Witch. So. Mm-hmm that i you know i read that and thought holy that is brave because uh i eventually did also become a little bit more vocal about it in my life but it took a while and it, it was it, it was like scary um but i love yeah. that you are really doing it as an act of service because you want other people to know that you know that, that, like enough with the shame and stigma and we're here to help each other mm-hmm. Right, and I will say, you know,
2: aside from the comments and the texts and the calls and people being so loving, something else that happened was that people reached out to me for help, a number of people, you know, um, men and women, and just said, like, thank you so much, and this is what I'm going through, and, you know, people shared stories with me, like, really intimate stories with me, and I just felt so, like, honored, you know, that they would would do that, that they would share that with me. And I just, you know, you spend so much time, like, drinking and feeling bad. Like, this feels so good to Mm -hmm. be, you know, to be able to talk to other people who are struggling and just tell them, like, it's okay, you know, I've Mm -hmm. been there and I'm here, you know, if you're ready or whatever the case may be for each of them. But um, it was really amazing.
1: And I really found for me when I I started to – when I started my blog, and then when people started to say, "Wow, you're helping me," or "Can you help me?"
0: Mm-hmm.
1: That then that enters into service and giving service to others really does fuel our recovery. It really adds a whole other dimension. Mm-hmm. It keeps you accountable, but it also just keeps you sort of right. Well, what comes back to that spirit of kindness and and acceptance and giving that we talked about earlier that seems to be you know, the vibe that you get from that recovery community. And, that, you know, mm-hmm. AA, uh, it's one of the steps of AA is to give service. Right. And right. Um, that, you know, the, whether or not that program is for everyone, like I really think do what works for you, and if that program works, right. for you, great. If not, there's a great. lot of other ways to do it.
0: Mm-hmm. But
1: I certainly adopted a lot of the tools from that program and, and service.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: I, I would have never guessed or believed I, I kind of thought, oh, yeah, well, that's a good way to, you know, keep people bringing coffee to your meeting. Tell them that yeah. that's going to help them say so. <laughs> 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 it's, like, it's like tithing at church. But it really is. There's such truth in it. <laughs> there <laughs> it really, is. There uh, really is. It just is. There really is. Amazing, the power of it. Mm-hmm. Wow. Well, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, yeah. And I guess it's it's time to wrap up our discussion, but any closing thoughts or words or um, any message you'd like to share with someone who's listening, who's thinking about making a change, the sober curious, as we say, or sure. uh, that's that's in the midst of those, you know, first, first days? Sure. Um, you know,
2: if I can do it, you can do it. Um, I was the definition of, like, the fun wine mom for, like, the entire existence that I was a mom. And before that, I was like the fun party girl, you know, and I'm still figuring it out, but I really feel like if I can do it, anyone can, and it's not going to be easy, but it will be better. And I'm here. You know, I think, Jean, you'll share my contact information somewhere, or people can reach out to you to reach out to me, whatever. Mm -hmm. I'm always here.
1: That's awesome. So uh, your blog is soberwitch.com. That's right. And... Your Instagram is uh, at SoberWitch. SoberWitch. Yep. Or if uh, listeners, if you want to reach out to Renee, you can also send an email to me, thebubblehour at gmail.com, and then I'll forward it on to Renee, and she can get back to you that way too. That works great. And I guess that's it. I should also say my blog is uh, unpickledblog.com and you're listening to The Bubble Hour. If, uh, if you want to help us out, listeners, um, there's ways to do that. One is to rate us on uh, iTunes because that helps bump us up. And another is if you are willing to share your story, as Renee did, just send an email to The Bubble Hour or send me a message uh, via The Bubble Hour on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter. And uh, and come on the show and share your story. That helps so many, uh, more than we know. I was telling Renee before we started, you know, sometimes it's years later and someone will send me a message and say, oh, I just listened to this show from like three years ago and it changed my life. And like, so it just, it, it's such incredible service to share your story. It helps so many people. And yeah, I think that's all the important details for today. Renee, thank you so much for for being here. I really really appreciate you sharing your story and being so open and honest. I know it's hard it's hard to to share some of those things that are so I don't know, icky about about our stories, mm-hmm. but um also it's important for us to know that we can make a comeback from the lows that we never want to acknowledge happened. So thank you for being here and for thank sharing. Thank you your
2: so story. much, Jean. Thank you so much for having
1: me. I'm glad to have you. And I guess that's it for us for today. So, everyone, thanks for listening. Until next time, take good care.
0: I own it. I did that. Not proud that that was me. And when I face I take that. A little dignity. Not looking for excuses. I just want to be free. From the power, weakness, head on.